worshiping together today, siblings, I invite you to turn to your Bibles or Bible apps first to the book of Esther, the fourth chapter, beginning in the first verse. Let us receive together the word of God. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went through the city, wailing with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. In every province, wherever the king's command and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and most of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's maid and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathok, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what was happening and why. Hathok went to the Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther, explain it to her, and charge her to go to the king to make supplication to him and entreat him for her people. Hathok went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathok and gave him a message for Mordecai, saying, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside of the inner court without being called, there is but one law. All alike are to be put to death. Only if the king holds out the golden scepter to someone, may that person live. I myself have not been called to come to the king's for 30 days. When they told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter, but you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, go. Gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will also fast as you do. After that, I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Thanks be to God. Friends, now uh, we prepare for another blessing. But before that, I want to make sure that if you're just tuning in with us, that you will find our worship guide on our website um, or in the comment sections. Also, if you need ASL interpretation, 
You'll find that at foundryumc.org forward slash ASL. Find ways to connect and to participate with us as we continue to be in worship together. Friends, now let's open our hearts, our minds, our arms wide to receive the gift of Reverend Kimberly Scott as she brings the word. We are building up a new world. We are building up a new world. We are building up a new world. Builders must be strong. Founder, would you please pray with me? Heavenly, most gracious God, we thank you, thank you for bringing us to this place at this time to sing, to hear, and to meditate on your words from places near and far. Without you, Lord, words cannot be spoken. Without you, Lord, words cannot be heard. So hide me so that you can come forth. Please let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Oh, Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Foundry, I hope you know that we are in the process of building up a new world for such a time as this. Indeed, it is a privilege and an honor that I stand before you today for such a time as this. A few months ago, I could have only imagined preaching for you today the day following my ordination as an elder in full connection of the Desert Southwest Conference. Had someone told me 10 years ago that I would be pastoring in the UMC today, I would not have believed it. Preaching and teaching and being a leader in the church was never on my bucket list. After all, I spent most of my life truly believing I was incompatible with Christian teaching believing that a woman had no place in the pulpit, internalized homophobia, internalized sexism. But God has been up to something for such a time as this, a time in which so many of our lives or so much in our lives has been put on hold due to the COVID-19 pandemic. A time in which LGBTQI folks in the UMC are facing the reality that their promised land has seamlessly disappeared over the horizon and is out of sight. A time such as this in our history, where our history and our past seems to seemingly become our new or our renewed reality. You see, I understand that there are some of you out here who out there who who assume that you had lived through the worst season of racial injustice in this country, of racial injustice and discrimination and inequality. I recognize that some of you lived through the Jim Crow era, the civil rights, women's lib and gay and lesbian rights movements. But there's at least one generation of us gathered here today who also grew up truly believing they lived in a colorblind society. And then some of us thought system, system, systemic racism and homophobia was dead in this country with the election of Barack Obama. And then there's the unfortunate reality that some of us gathered here today have seen the church and the world at war with itself, itself 
for most of their lifetimes due to issues of colonialism, racism, sexism, and homophobia. In other words, some of us have been waiting for transformation to come in the streets, in the church, and in our world for way too long. We are sick and tired of being sick and tired, and we're sick and tired of creating new hashtags in our fight against injustice. So what is our call as faithful followers of Jesus Christ who died so that we might all be set free? What is our call as those who claim to serve a Jesus who died to set the oppressed free so that through his body, humanity might live into the reality of a realized kingdom of God? Today's text situates us in the life of Esther to aid us in finding our way forward for such a time as this. For such a time as this, although most of us have heard and are familiar with the famous quote from the book of Esther for such a time as this, due to the fact that Esther is rarely in the lectionary, many of us don't know the full context that makes this statement so profound. So let us start quickly with who Esther is. She's a young Jewish woman, orphaned due to the death of her parents. Fortunately, she's adopted by her cousin Mordecai. Mordecai serves as a courier within the king's royal court. At this time in biblical history, the Jews, God's chosen people, are in exile. Jerusalem was conquered and its people taken into the chains of Babylonian captivity. So the Jews of the diaspora have settled and have made their new homes in Susa. And they are living as a recognized religious minority in the heart of a powerful Persian empire. Thus, they are living on the margins. Esther, as an orphan, as a Jewish female, she is a nobody among nobodies in this minority community. With her true identity kept secret, Esther first appears in the story as one of the young virgins brought to the king's harem by her cousin Mordecai to be a possible replacement for Vashti, the banished wife of the Persian king. And after a year living in the harem and being trained, Esther pleases the king and is eventually crowned queen. But remember, all this takes, this takes place while Esther keeps her Jewish identity and her relationship to Mordecai a secret or her relation to Mordecai is secret. Meanwhile, Mordecai has won favor by serving the king faithfully and even by presenting an, and he even prevented an assassination attempt. But the plot thickens. Somehow Mordecai's Jewish heritage becomes known to an enemy by the name of Haman. Haman is also a favorite member of the king's royal court. Yet he is jealous of Mordecai and Mordecai standing with the king. So Mordecai gets into a power struggle with Haman. Mordecai refuses to bow down before Haman and this infuriates Haman. Haman decides not only to put Mordecai to death, but also to slaughter his entire people. And he secures the king's permission to do so. 
Our text today in Esther 4 picks up right after Mordecai has learned of Haman's plot. He is distraught. And in this distraught, weeping and grieving time, dressed in sackcloth and ashes, he shows up at the palace gate, wanting to inform Esther of what has taken place. And after going back and forth with a messenger, eventually Mordecai reveals Haman's plot to exterminate all the Jews. And he pleads for Esther to beg for the king's mercy to spare the people's lives. And as was read in our text, when Esther first learns of Haman's plot and the threat to her people, her reaction is one of reluctance, helplessness, hopelessness, fear. She tells Mordecai she could not approach the king without being summoned and she could possibly face death. Besides, the king had not summoned her in 30 days. She's implying here that possibly she had fallen out of favor with the king. Yet Mordecai is persistent and sends one last plea. Esther, do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Hmm. So what is this story about? Well, right away, we learned that the leaders of the Persian Empire, Haman, had an agenda, a very racist agenda to exterminate all the Jews. We might know a little bit in this country about a racist agenda to exterminate a group of people. We also may know a little bit as a Methodist about the homophobic, a homophobic agenda to exterminate queer people from the church. So we, Foundry, all should be able to place ourselves inside this story. Foundry, I need you to place yourself inside this story. Foundry, I mean Esther, you are facing the genocide of yourself and your people. You are being given a very difficult task to choose action or to choose to be silent when your people need you the most. Esther, you've got to choose whether to confront your husband, your spouse, the king, the powers that be, risking death simply by entering their room without being asked to do so, or to do nothing and to continue to live your plush life as Queen Esther. Esther, you can choose to plead with your husband, your spouse, the king, to stop his ethnic cleansing or to do nothing. Esther, you can save yourself and your people or you can do nothing. Secondly, this narrative is about choice, right? Free will. God always gives us choices, right? Since the beginning, we've had the, the ability to make choices. Now, when we reflect on Esther's life, who she was, where she had come from, and then we read verses 13 through 15, it might come across as if Mordecai was scolding her, scolding her for her focus on self-preservation. In other words, it might be easy to assume that Mordecai was calling her out for being selfish. But listen.
listen, let's read this together. And our text will be on our screen. Let's read this text again together. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. More than any other word in this text, the phrase that sticks out to me is, for if you remain silent this time. For if you remain silent this time. Here Mordecai catches Esther's attention by cluing her in to the bigger picture, the broader context of who she is, who she's been called to be. Mordecai essentially says to her, although you, it feels like you have arrived and that you made it to your promised land because you're living in the king's palace and living a lavish life, don't forget you are still a Jew. Mordecai is saying, Esther, your life is not simply about you, but it's about us. You see, you did not make it into the palace for yourself or by yourself or because of yourself. So don't you get comfortable yet. We, a collective we, have not arrived at our promised land yet. And if you remain silent at this time and focus on yourself, we'll get relief. But as for you and your family, you will die. In speaking these words to Esther, Mordecai draws her away from the needs of self, the fears about self, to a sense of connectivism and into an Ubuntu spirit. An Ubuntu spirit. I am because you are. You are because I am. He reminds her that she had been chosen for this time to set aside her own interests, goals, and desires, to let go of her own ambition and face their common foe full on. And how does Esther reply? <clears throat> With Mordecai's message, she is, of course, inspired. No, she is compelled to take control, to act quickly in the crisis to save her people in the midst of the threat of death. She is obediently faithful. She is a team player. Esther goes on, of course, to be the savior of her people. She was indeed called for such a time. She was called to risk her life and her legacy with no guarantees of positive outcome. She was, she was called to just step out on faith and on goodwill. That's the for such a time as this that Mordecai challenged Esther to accept. And that's the for such a time as this that God also sets before you and me. So what else do we learn from Esther? What else is Esther teaching us? First, this is a call to not be silent when a crisis arises amongst our people. When we see harm being done, when injustice is present in our world, in our schools, and in our churches. Over the last week, two weeks, we've heard the stories about people all over the world reacting in protest and riots and marches and prayer vigils due to the killing, the murder of George Floyd. And to be quite honest with you, Foundry, I really wrestled with my own response the first few days because quite frankly, I was scared. 
I was scared about being hurt, about being arrested, about being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And then across my television screen, a protest sign appeared. The first one, silence equals compliance. Silence is violence. And then another from MLK. Riots are the voice of the unheard. But the kicker was the next one. The kicker was this. In the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. And with that, I was instantly convicted. I knew that I should have been doing something. And so I took that as my call to stop sitting on the sidelines and whining and crying and going out and being a part of the solution. So wrapped up in Esther's call is Esther teaching us to use our voice to encourage us, to give us courage and the power to speak freedom for the captive, freedom for the oppressed. Freedom is the call to protect life via acts of love. To speak words of freedom is to bring all people to a place of wholeness and abundance, worth. The call to speak of freedom and to speak freedom into existence for others challenges evil, destructiveness, oppression, violence, decay, defeat, death. And this indeed is the good news. So how do we speak of freedom in a world suffering? We must be a voice for the voiceless. We must be a voice for the voiceless. We must speak new truths to power because next Esther models for us in this text, how we are called to live out our calling and put the community in God's kingdom building work ahead of our own self-seeking ambitions. Imagine that. God has given each of us a job, careers, resources, education, and influence. Influence. God has opened doors and given each of us opportunities for God's kingdom purposes. God didn't create us to just sit back and live lavish lives, not focused on the world around us. You see, the more resources and privilege we have, the more we have that belongs to God. As Luke 12 teaches us, to whom much is given, much is required. Do you hear that, Foundry? To whom much is given, much is required. God placed us where we are today so that we can literally be a part of building up a new world. While I was at Love, I had the privilege of being there to the time when Dr. Vincent Harding, the late Dr. Vincent Harding was there. Dr. Harding, Vincent Harding was assisted um, MLK in writing a lot of his speeches. And in his experience in his time walking beside King, Dr. Vincent Harding was inspired to write a song sung to the tune of We Are Climbing Jacob's Ladder. And that is we are building up a new world the song I led in with before my prayer. Vincent Harding charged us at Isle to take seriously our responsibility at building up a new world, 
to take seriously our kingdom building responsibility. Thus today, Boundary, we are in the midst of a kingdom battle. The enemy would love to have its way by distracting us and have us, having us continually focused or inwardly focused on the things that matter only to us. But God didn't build us that way. God built us to be in community and to be about community. You see, Esther could have easily have continued to live the lavish life in the king's palace and let whatever happened to her people happen. But she would have certainly missed her kingdom building calling. And an entire nation would have been lost. We would have been lost. And instead, an entire nation was grateful for how Esther responded to Mordecai's request. Their lives were spared. So how many lives matter to you, Foundry? Whose lives truly matter to you? And how are you showing it? I answered my call to ministry at a time when I was mad at God and I was mad at the church because of all the harm I had experienced as an openly queer lay person who faithfully served the church. But God told me to stop whining, crying about how horrible the church had been to me and go and be a part of changing the church simply because I was not the only one who had been harmed and that was being harmed in the church. And that's how God first convinced me of my first, my first such a time as this moment. God was calling me to leave behind my church, my family, my career, my middle-class status. You see, as a school counselor in for 10 years in Las Vegas, I had witnessed my LGBTQI youth being harmed by the church. I saw countless numbers of students in and out of treatment centers. Some ended up as runaways and others as victims of suicide. It's no mistake that the first sermon God laid on my heart was titled, An Untimely Commissioning to Speak Just Might Save the Life of a Nation or People. That song was based on Moses' call story. God was calling me to a new life of life-giving work to save, I believe, a generation of LGBTQIA young people of faith. Boundary, it's not just by chance that less than a year ago, I met your pastor and we would go through some really, do some really hard, ugly, dirty, grimy work in our fight for LGBTQIA liberation in the UMC. Boundary is not just by chance that the day after my ordination, God has placed me, an openly queer, married African-American woman, and placed it in my spirit to proclaim to you that for such a time as this, for such a time as this, because the time is now, the time is now, saints, my life, my ministry has been filled with taking risks. Boundary, you are being called to live as if your loved one's lives are at risk. You are being called to live as if you, your loved ones are at risk. As if those nearest and dearest to you are the ones facing extermination. Extermination from the church because they are LGBTQIA. As if those who are nearest and dearest to you are being fed the crumbs from the table of a crumbling church. You are being called to live your life as if 
Your loved ones are at risk as if the ones nearest and dearest to you are facing execution in the streets because of the color of their skin. So many black and brown lives could be spared today if we'd all just choose to step up to the service, to the plate, to speak out against racism and police brutality and to fight for legislative policies and changes, even if it means it would cause us to have to sacrifice ourselves, our time, our money, our gifts, our resources, our talents. So many queer and trans persons, especially those in ministries, their lives and their ministries could be spared if more of us would step up to the mic and speak out and use our resources and political influence to find a way forward in creating the church that Jesus died to build. So finally, Esther is teaching us here that our call is to act on God's watch, God's time, not ours. Esther got the call from Mordecai and responded urgently. Was the call for Mordecai timely? No. In fact, it did not make human sense to Esther, I'm sure. She was, she had finally arrived, right? She had finally become somebody of high stature and esteem and respect. Yet Esther was obedient to the call. She used her privilege. She sacrificed herself for the sake of others, for the sake of other people. How many times have you received a call to be a part of something? that may have caused you to have to sacrifice yourself or something in your life? How many times you received a call and you said, oh no, not at this moment. This is just terrible timing. Or perhaps you said, oh no, it's not my time. I've already done all I can do. I'll leave it to the next generation to figure out. When we say those types of things, we are just prolonging our collective suffering. We are prolonging the kingdom reality that God so desperately wants us to experience. We are prolonging bringing an end to the suffering and justice and oppression that exists in our world. Yet we have been called to be the ones to free the oppressed and to recover sight to the blind and to bring about love, peace, and justice today for the transformation of the world today in the here and now. So who are we waiting for? Who are we waiting for to do our work for us? Let us not delay kingdom building any longer. Let's, God, let's let God's kingdom come now. We have been called for such a time as this because the time is now. Let us pray. We are the ones we've been waiting. We are the ones, we are the ones we've been waiting. We are the ones, we are the ones we've been waiting. We are Heavenly and most gracious God, we stand in awe of your timing. Yet we had gathered here today embracing it because all we have is now. Now to be faithful, now to be holy, and to shine light 
through the darkness of this world. For such a time as this, you've placed us here on this earth to hear your voice, God, and to do your will, O oh God. For such a time of this, we stand in awe of how you've readied us for your service, for how you've commissioned us for your service. And oh God, although the mystery of your timing seems, seems to evade us, God, in your timeliness and in your way, you brought us here via the world wide web from places near and far, through many dangers seen and unseen, from all different life experiences, paths, cultures, social locations, united as the body of Christ. Yet we must confess, oh God, we have left much undone. We have not adequately proclaimed good news to the poor. We have not adequately proclaimed liberty to the captives and allowed the blind to see. We have not adequately freed the oppressed. So God, we ask you now to continue to equip us for your work of kingdom building. Help us, oh God, to continue to build your kingdom of justice and peace, fueled by the passionate love of you, oh God, of self, oh God, and of neighbor. Empower us to see through your eyes the inequities of the world and in holy frustration be the change we want to see in the world. So that all, all will know they are children of God, loved children of God. Let us no longer allow injustice and evil that robs so many of their futures and others, their relationship with you to exist. Eternal God above all, with your spirit and in your holy boldness, help us that we might look to the days and the hours and the years ahead with hope and determination for such a time as this, because the time is now. Amen.